Hello, it's a wonderful uh, opportunity to be together again as we dig into God's word together uh, in the hope that uh, we will hear from God, this God who, who loves us, who knows us, and a God who is always communicating. And he does that uh, so very well uh, through his word. And it's a word that points especially to the uniqueness and um, preciousness and wonder and glory and power of this man, Jesus. And we're really focusing in on uh, this man, Jesus, in this whole season as we go in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and, you know, we've been in some interesting times, and it doesn't seem like with the, the beginning of a new year that things have really changed all that much. And as a church, we have felt it was important uh, to recognize that there are certain people uh, in our community, despite the fact that everyone is having challenges, <clears throat> there are certain people in our community who, whose challenges may be a little more severe than others. We definitely think of medical staff and things like that, nurses and doctors. <clears throat> but also, over the past year, we as a church have been seeking to pray for and to serve uh, teachers in our community, both those within and outside of our congregation. Uh, they're already vital and demanding uh, job and, and a, a unique and wonderful uh, profession has become even more challenging uh, in these current circumstances. They've had to skillfully adapt uh, to their new circumstances with um, patience, for sure, and with innovation, uh, and perhaps with an occasional glass of wine on a Friday night, having made it through the week of challenges. I myself am so very deeply grateful for every one of them, for every one of you, uh, because I have personally experiences, experienced the riches of knowledge uh, and confidence and purpose that teachers have personally given to me throughout my life. In my life, teachers often have made all the difference. I can still remember uh, many teachers in my past uh, who impacted me the most uh, and whose teaching uh, has become a part of who I am. Uh, Mr. Anthony Batone who was uh, one, uh, a guy in high school who nurtured, really nurtured my love of music, even inviting our little rock band to come and play at high volume and pyrotechnics and smoke machines at uh, the yearly high school concert, kind of sandwiched in between a flute solo and a performance by the choir. I actually remember my delight as the assistant headmaster, whom I was not very fond of, uh, was engulfed in clouds of smoke with his ears pinned back by the sheer power and majesty of rock. Uh, Mrs. Mary Ward at the same school, Monifeith High School it was called, an English teacher who taught me about both the power and responsibility of language and the radical possibilities and nature of poetry and other literature. Uh, Dr. Uh, Charles Scalise, my first ever Fuller Seminary professor who taught me church history and brought it alive to me in such a rich way, uh, teaching me also the relevance of those events in church history to my own serving of Jesus in God's creation. And then Dr. Richard Erickson, uh, who taught the first seminary class that I attended when I came back after four years, uh, a break away from school, and in whose class I, I actually like quietly just wept as I considered the privilege that it was to sit in this class and, and open up the wonders of the Word of God and to learn how to read the Bible with integrity and with faith. These teachers have marked my life and I am grateful for them. And what was so good about them? What made them stand out? There's a few common traits. Well, they loved their subject. 
They loved their subject. They loved to teach it. And they believed that what they were teaching was really important. They loved and cared for their students. And their actions matched their words. They were people of integrity. They were willing to go the extra mile to assist a student in the learning process. And their presence in my life, right where I was at that time, seemed really timely for me. You know, one of the distinctives of the Gospel of Mark, which we're currently working our way through, is that more than any of the other three Gospels, Mark is presenting Jesus as the teacher. The use of the title teacher as well as the verb for teaching uh, is used in Mark more than any of the other Gospels if we compare uh, the shortness of Mark compared to the others. There's much more teaching per square inch in Mark's Gospel. It's a big feature for Mark. For Mark, preaching and teaching and miracle working, and even up to his dying, uh, Jesus uh, comes to teach the people through all the aspects of his life. So this morning, we're going to look at Jesus, the teacher, and then ask ourselves a couple of questions. The first is, how is Jesus teaching me? The second is, how might I participate in the teaching ministry of the body of Christ, Christ's body, his presence in the world? So let's read the text for this week. It's found in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 34. The story continues. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? And you teaching and with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, he took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So I was was reading the text this week. Uh, There came to mind these four concepts that are often spoken of in connection with teaching, and especially teaching that seeks to persuade and convince the listener. And I thought it would be a fun and helpful exercise to maybe explore how Jesus embodies these four tools of communication as Mark describes his ministry. And there's these four words, they're Greek words, and they are kairos, pathos, ethos, and logos. And they've been drawn from originally the work of Aristotle, who was a Greek philosopher from the fourth century before Christ and was very well known in the the early uh, times of the church. They would have known who Aristotle was. And they could be defined briefly like this. Kairos is about timeliness, an opportune time. Pathos is about emotion. Ethos is about character. And logos is about logic. So let's start with Kairos. Kairos. The idea of Kairos has already entered into the story in verses we've already covered, as Mark tells it. Last week we heard the very first words of Jesus, and one of them was this very same Greek word, Kairos, uh, that was spoken 
by Jesus in reference to his teaching as he comes. His very first words, back in uh, chapter one, verses 14 and 15, says Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. What time, we ask? The kingdom of God has come near. The time has come, Jesus proclaims. This is Kairos time. This is meaning the opportune time or the time that God has appointed. Not a moment too early, not a moment too late. And now in this passage, we find more references to opportune times and witness Jesus as a teacher of perfect timing. Mark 1.21, they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. As one commentator wrote about this, Jesus enters the sacred space, the synagogue in the sacred time, the Sabbath. This time was a perfectly opportune moment for what Jesus came to do. This was Kairos time. The synagogue is significant. It was the place where the people would gather intentionally at a specific time, expecting to hear teaching. There was an expectation and a hunger for it, but also to enjoy community with one another. Jesus steps into the midst of that Kairos moment, filled with the Spirit of God and ready to do the Father's work. No accidents or coincidences here. Kairos time, another opportune time comes along. It says in verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. They left the synagogue at that time. When that, that time together ended, they went to the home of Simon and Andrew. You know, I know some of you have a habit perhaps or you've had when we were gathering together of getting together with mum or dad or family or friends after a service together, a worship service uh, on a Sunday morning. I wonder if this was a similar scenario. They left the synagogue and, and they went and had a pot roast at Peter's house. I don't know. Uh, but whatever the reason for their journey to Simon Peter's house, the timing is wonderful because Jesus goes at this time to the house and discovers that Peter's mother-in-law has apparently fallen sick with a fever. And Jesus is able now to heal her. In Mark's gospel telling, this is the very first lesson for the four first disciples. And it's their first glimpse perhaps into what it means to become fishers of people for the kingdom. And it happens in these moments of time. This is an example of what it's going to mean for them. And, and, and Mark just, uh, just describes it so perfectly. It's this kind of formula almost. It says, Jesus went to her. Jesus took her hand. Jesus raised her up to complete and vigorous health. It's the time for that had come. And one more uh, time of opportunity, which teaches the timeliness as part of Jesus' teaching, his skill as a teacher. It says that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Now, this is Jesus. This is the end of the day. Uh, all of these things have happened on a single Sabbath day. And Jesus, you can imagine by now, is tired. But he ministers to them all. This Kairos time is a timetable that is according to God's purposes, not necessarily our own weariness at times. Uh, if it was me, I could imagine saying to God, come on, uh, Lord, this Kairos time is wearing me out. I'm exhausted. But Jesus is a teacher who knows when the time is right for him to be teaching. And he does this according to God's timetable. And this seems to be always in response to the need for the people to receive this comprehensive teaching that he brings, which is both verbal, but also in action and practical. And that brings us to the second thing of pathos. 
It's the emotional content and direction of Jesus' teaching. On Tuesday morning, I had the great privilege of participating in a memorial service for the family of Gladys uh, Miranda, who is the mother of Melody Anderson, one of our associate pastors. Uh, and it was an amazing time uh, together. Uh, and it was a beautiful time. And, and I had a chance to share uh, something of God's perspective in, in this event of loss. And I shared the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And you may be familiar with that story. It's an amazing account in the Gospel of John. It's filled with power. Jesus raises a man from the dead after he has been in the grave for four days. But for me, the most significant part of the story is the fact that John, the disciple who shares this story, spends so much time talking about Jesus's emotional state. He gives us this glimpse into how Jesus is feeling as he uh, enacts this time of teaching and, and then of demonstration of his power. It says that he's deeply troubled in his spirit and that he even weeps, he cries, he weeps. Uh, Jesus does not maintain some detached an emotional uh, place from his teaching and his life that engages his heart deeply uh, in the lives of others. And that is such a part of this role he has as a teacher. You know, the most famous of verses probably says it all, that for so God loved the world, God loved the world and loves the world that he gave his one and only son. So where do we see this pathos, this emotional content, this care in the teaching ministry of Jesus here? Well, it is simply in his care for these specific people in this specific episode. How many people did he heal and set free that day? Mark really wants us to know that Jesus' caring, healing ministry cannot be disconnected from his teaching ministry. It's all part of his work. What is he teaching what is he teaching us as his pathos, his heart of compassion compels him to heal the sick and deliver the oppressed? What is that about as far as teaching? Well, the first thing he's teaching is that the kingdom is near as he has announced. He's teaching the truth of this fact. He is giving a taste of the kingdom to come the shape, the quality, the reality of it. Jesus begins the now and the not yet that we have talked about so often that with his coming, he ushers in the kingdom. It has now come upon the earth and one day in complete fullness, it will be here. And he gives a sense of that. He teaches about the kingdom by these things that he is doing of healing and of freedom from oppression. He gives lessons in salvation. He's teaching about salvation. People are saved from the powers of darkness as a glimpse of what Jesus has come to do and accomplish for all and forever. And now he does it in part for these people who gather. It's crazy that the demon in the synagogue seems to speak with concern for all of his kind, all of the darkness and the demonic powers. Uh, the single uh, demonic power cries out, what do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's like the, all, of the, all of the devils and the demons in the darkness cry out. They understand that he has come to end their reign. He has come to bring freedom to the captives, to defeat the powers of darkness. And secondly, there's another aspect of salvation here. Uh, those who are sick and those who are demon afflicted are con were considered ritually unclean unclean and separate from the community. And Jesus now heals them and restores them to fellowship with their community. It is a picture of the community that he has come to accomplish in the kingdom. 
as well as a beautiful object lesson of his teaching that we talked about last week in the Sermon on the Mount, that blessed are the poor and the marginalized and the outsiders, those who are set aside for whatever reason, and he brings them in. His healing is teaching the people about who he is and what he is about. And pathos is also concerned with the reaction that comes from the hearers. Jesus' words elicited a great emotional response from his hearers. There's power, there's emotion in the room when Jesus teaches, when Jesus acts. We read in verse 27, it says, the people were all so amazed. In fact, throughout Mark's gospel, these kind of expressions uh, seem to follow the teaching ministry of Jesus wherever he goes. Mark actually uses six distinct Greek words to describe the reactions of people. And they, they run the gamut from astonishment to, being, to marveling, as well as on occasion, Jesus' teaching in all the ways that he teaches, uh, evoking the deepest sense of wonder and awe and reverence and fear. He, he is a teacher of, of heart, compassion, who always shows up at the right time. The third thing is ethos. The word authority appears twice in this passage and many more times throughout Mark and almost all of them refer to Jesus. This word authority. In the synagogue, the people proclaim that he taught as one who had, had authority, not as the teachers of the law. He sets up this comparison here with authority, not like the scribes, the teachers of the law. Something about Jesus' teaching is quantifiably different from the church leaders that these people would be used to hearing teach them. Later on, actually, Jesus is going to kind of make that pretty obvious by calling these people hypocrites, that their words and character do not match up, that Jesus' character we see perfectly matches his words as a whole person of Jesus teaching everyone he encounters. So there's a critical comparison here and it is strengthened and amplified by this fact. The fact that here in what Jesus calls their synagogue, and whose synagogue was it? It was the teachers of the law and the leader's synagogue as well as the people. But in the midst of this place, there is one who is so deeply afflicted by demonic powers. He is there among them. And, and then it's amplified even more so that the demon recognizes Jesus for who he, he is. The demon is the one who proclaims that Jesus is uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. Even though Jesus' contemporaries and those gathered there, and particularly the leaders, fail to recognize who he is. You know, it seems that the demons uh, in, in Jesus' ministry, they seem to reveal themselves wherever Jesus goes. Such is his authority that his mere presence draws out these powers into the open and um, from where he can then banish them. It reminds me of a story that my wife Rona told me that creeped me out majorly, actually. And it's about cockroaches, so you have been warned, maybe... Uh, you want to, not want to hear this if you've got a bit of a cockroach phobia. But the only cockroaches I had seen up to the point when Rona shared the story with me uh, had appeared in a, an apartment I lived in in London. And they were, there were a grand total of two of them that I ever saw. And they were definitely not candidates for the bug version of American Gladiator. They were puny little things. Well, Rona told me about a really nasty house that she and her friends rented in Austin, Texas. And there were so many cockroaches living in the general area vicinity that when she would go into a room especially the kitchen at night, and flick the light switch on, the ground would almost move as tiny, tiny little bodies scuttled off into the shadows. And I think this is like Jesus' authority. He comes, this uh, ethos of the man, the person that he is, um, that these powers are just exposed by the light that he brings wherever he goes. 
You know, it's interesting, uh, the people encounter this, they see this uh, demonic uh, uh, release for this man. Uh, and, and the response that they have to seeing this amazing exorcism is not really what I would expect. I love uh, watching carefully for how a gospel writer or a writer in the New Testament will explain something. And often what I expect him to write next is not what actually happens. And, and so the, the people respond to this amazing event that has happened. This man of integrity and power has come and immediately this demon calls out and exposes itself and allowing then Jesus to, to, to teach this power over them and to actually do the deed of casting the demon out. And, and I would have expected that the people would say, as the disciples did in the boat when Jesus calmed the storm, uh, something like, who is this? Who is this? He even gives uh, orders to impure spirits and they obey him, right? Who is this? Thinking about the person, but what they actually say, Mark reports, and I think he does this really on purpose, is, is that he reports that they say, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. Not who is this, but what is this? A new teaching. Mark really wants to show us Jesus the teacher and all the facets of what that looks like. And right now here, it's about authority, his ethos that leads him to have authority that they have never encountered before. And Mark makes it abundantly clear that Jesus' every word and action are part of his teaching ministry. In Jesus, the kingdom of God comes near. And what happens as a consequence of his presence teaches this great truth in the clearest way possible. In fact, to this point, interestingly enough, having is focusing on the teaching of Jesus, but actually Marcus shared very little of the content of Jesus' teaching. He wants us to know that Jesus is the king of the kingdom and that every person and every power must bow down to him in worship and honor. And you don't need to hear all the details necessarily of his teaching right now to know that he comes as a teacher with authority in so many ways. And the last thing here is, is logos. And you may under, know what that word means. It's about words. Uh, it typically refers actually in, in, in uh, conversation or in teaching uh, to matters of logic and of convincing argumentation. And often it's the use of uh, appeals to authority or to statistics to support some point or another. My favorite quote about statistics is this, that 73.6% of all statistics are made up. Uh, you know, the teachers of the, of the law to whom Jesus is unfavor sorry, they are unfavorably compared uh, in comparison to Jesus, would generally make reference to the great interpreters of Jewish uh, scriptures throughout time as they taught in the synagogue. They would always be referring to other teachers, people who were respected. Uh, the content of Jesus' teaching is not given necessarily in this section of Mark, but it seems clear that his logos, his way of teaching with his words is very unlike the teachers of the law uh, who people were used to hearing from. In fact, the only speech given here are Jesus' words to, these, uh, to this unclean spirit. That's the only thing he is reported as saying. Uh, 
is his words to this demon to cast it out. Um, uh, it's said that contemporary documents from that time show that this kind of ritual, this kind of moment when uh, someone is possessed and, and uh, someone attempts to draw this devil out of them, they involved all kinds of special words and incantations that had to be properly ordered and delivered to ensure success. But Jesus' words here, and I think this is very interesting, are simple and basic and just communicate exactly what he means. He doesn't appeal to any authority. He doesn't give any kind of evidence or, or reason as to why this should happen. He simply states it. Be quiet, Jesus says sternly. Come out of him. We're going to see as we go through Mark more of the content of Jesus' speech as we continue through the, through the gospel. Uh, but Jesus doesn't appeal to those who came before as a typical teacher of his time would do. Instead, he begins his teaching with phrases such as, I tell you the truth and I say to you. In fact, he goes so far and Matthew reports this regularly in his gospel. They say, you have heard it said, but I say. But for now, it's sufficient to understand that Jesus doesn't need to use claims to other expert authorities to support what he teaches. He is the Logos. He is the word of God. And he brings the foundational truth of reality to a world hungry for the real thing. So these are the four ways of looking at Jesus, the teacher, as Mark portrays him. So a couple of questions now. The first is, how is Jesus teaching me? How is Jesus teaching me? Let's think about them in these categories again. Kairos, timeless, opportunity. Jesus is never early and he is never late. His timing is perfect as he teaches us. But a good question is, am I receptive to his teaching? Jesus is never early and he is never late. His timing is perfect and he comes to teach us. But the question to ask is, am I receptive to his teaching? Notice in the passage that Jesus was invited to teach in the synagogue. That sacred space set up for the sacred purpose during a sacred Kairos time of Sabbath. How is Jesus teaching us? Might we invite him to teach us intentionally? not hoping that he will shout a few words of instruction or guidance to us as we rush past him, busy with all our super important activities, but intentionally stop, take a seat, open the word of God to hear from it and invite him to speak into our lives. And also beyond that, the synagogue was not just a place for teaching, it was for teaching in, in community. And that's the best place. That's the place where Jesus generally throughout all the gospels shows up. Occasionally he has very small groups and he has times alone as Melody is going to share with us next time. But generally he is in with his community. And that is when the teaching finds its fullest form because there are people who need healing. There, there are all kinds of things happening and, and it's a fully rounded teaching experience uh, within the community. Uh, we we're called, if we want to hear from Jesus, to participate as fully as we can in the life of the community and to fellowship. Mark's gospel teaches us that Jesus shows up most often when we join our lives with others and him. What about pathos? Emotion. You know, some of us are learning throughout these times some very difficult and painful lessons. I know I have. We always need to remember Jesus, the teacher, that his love for us compels him to teach us. 
And even though the cure may cause us at times to suffer, his teaching is always healing, restoring us to rightness in mind and spirit and body. And uh, how do we feel? Think about the crowds as they responded to him. How do we feel when we encounter Jesus as the fully rounded teacher who brings the kingdom to us? Do we invite him into our real lives to such an extent that we ourselves experience amazement, astonishment, excitement, awe, even a holy sense of reverent fear? How is Jesus teaching me? Ethos. His character is everything. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. His character will always have an effect on us. And any interaction with him will teach us. His light exposes darkness. Just as the, as the demons flee and the cockroaches scatter, that within us which is dark is going to find itself in opposition and struggle and wrestle with Jesus as he comes because he is, he is the real thing and his character is fully, uh, abundantly present to us. And, and in interaction with him, a holy God like that can only ever cause us to have a sense of conviction. But we also have to realize that his character includes the fact that he can be trusted completely because he is he alone is truly and completely good what about logos how is jesus teaching me well he is the word of god he is the final and unique communication of God's will and purpose. He is the, the first and, the, and all the middle and the last. He is the alpha, the omega. He's everything we'll ever need to know to encounter God as fully as we can. And by spending time in his company, we can learn knowledge. But even more importantly, we learn wisdom and discernment. How is Jesus teaching me? What do we, what do we need to do here what do you need to do to step more fully and deeply into that? I'd love to talk with you about that. Uh, perhaps join us in the lobby after. We can talk about some practical ways that that might start to take a greater shape in our lives. We might see ourselves becoming more like the one whom we follow. Second question, how am I participating in the teaching ministry of the body of Christ? Uh, think about this. You know, the body of Christ is, is this concept that uh, Jesus went to the Father and then he sent the Holy Spirit and the church was birthed. And the church, uh, Acts tells us, we studied the entirety of Acts. The, Luke tells us in, in this writing that uh, the church now is accomplishing that which Jesus began. And the Holy Spirit in the church brings the presence of Jesus into the world and we carry him wherever we go. And of course, if Jesus, according to Mark, his assertion is that he is a teacher, that means that we also are teachers Later in Mark, we're going to hear that Jesus gives his disciples the very same authority to teach in all the ways that he has done in this holistic, comprehensive manner by which he taught. And that authority now has been passed on to the church through whom Jesus desires to continue his teaching ministry in the world. And if you're a follower of Jesus and a part of his body, then you are a teacher in the pattern that he was, and you must therefore pattern your life after his. Teachers in the kingdom must consider their own relationship with kairos and ethos and pathos and logos, a holistic, whole person kingdom life that we want to grow in and understand and encourage one another in. So briefly, what might that mean in these categories? Kairos, the time. 
Every day is filled filled with opportunities where God will use you in the most seemingly insignificant ways to bring the message and the gospel into the lives of other people through action and through word and through all these kinds and through character and through the way you're growing and maturing and changing. The time is short, but it's full of opportunities. Ethos. Um, we have the, the concept of, of, let's do pathos first, actually. Uh, keep it in the order. Pathos. Um, it's the sense of emotion. It cannot be better encapsulated than the command that Jesus gave us to love God with all of our heart and to love our neighbor. And the only way that the second part will function, that we can have this sense of, of emotional content in our teaching, it means this outflow of love for our neighbors. Uh, and it will only function if the first part is happening. We're being, allowing ourselves to be loved by God, receiving that love and being healthy in that way, then we can love other people. But uh, in a church I attended uh, a time in my life, a wise critique was made by a very wise person And he said this, he said, how can we possibly reach our community, which was also the stated aim of most churches. He said, how can we even possibly reach our community when we don't even love them? We don't even love them. Our hearts broken for the people around us who are wandering in darkness, in lostness, in doubt, in fear, anxiety, in isolation. Jesus's heart broke for the people and it was part of his teaching. Are we willing, as Jesus was, to offer genuine help and true friendship and assistance to those whom society considers to be undesirable or somehow outcasts? To go and do as Jesus did, as Mark writes it, to go to them, to take their hand, to raise them up with the power that we have into all kinds of healing and restoration in Jesus' name. Are we willing to let that pathos be the quality of our lives. What about ethos? Jesus is authority. We borrow this from him. We are given him authority just as he gave it to his disciples. And therefore, in honor of that authority that he has given, this is borrowed. This is, uh, we are ambassadors, representatives of him. We seek integrity of word and action. We let our yes be yes and our no be no, even if it costs us. And it really matters. And I think the church in these days is seen as being so complicit with so many other powers and and ideologies and allegiances, we need to get back to the simple loyalty to the king of the kingdom and be willing to sacrifice to do so and to be people of integrity, people of truth and our teaching be characterized by that in every way that that takes place in our words and our actions. And finally, the Logos. First Peter, which we just studied And think about this again. I love the New Testament that these characters appear again and again. And Peter, it was his house that Jesus went to in that perfect time. It was his mother-in-law who was healed. It was he who watched Jesus for three years. It was Peter who denied him at one point, restored again to full fellowship, and then who became a leader in the church and who gave his life finally at the hands of Rome, most likely for this cause. And he taught all the way through learning by mistakes. And we did this, we read this letter, we studied this letter recently, right before Christmas, uh, and it's uh, called First Peter. Uh, and I think for Logos, this is a wonderful 
thing to think about that he, he wrote. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That's where it starts. Revere Christ as Lord, the great teacher. Let him teach us. Let's be humble and teachable. And always then be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And that's a whole life endeavor. That is logos as wisdom and discernment and understanding and the ability to speak, also the ability to know when to refrain from speaking. But the sum total of our words, whether written or spoken, will be taken into consideration by the people who watch our way of life and are taught about who Jesus is as they do so. And we need to take this seriously. We're all of us students and teachers so let's look to the king as a teacher and let's actually show up to class on time ready with our sharpened pencil and our, our clean uh, book to write notes and let's start to develop ourselves into those who are always willing and receptive to listen to the voice of the teacher and then to go out and do the same uh, in his name. God is good and he's faithful and he will do it if we ask him. Uh, uh, let's pray as we close. Oh, Father, Lord, uh, you uh, are so wonderful. Your word is magnificent. Thank you for opening it up to us today. And I I pray that each one of us would just find one or two truths that would sink deep into our hearts, that we'd be truly taught something today that would actually give strength to our bones and nourishment to our souls and our hearts and our minds, that we would grow in wisdom and discernment, that we would recognize that we are teachers, whether we um, believe ourselves to be so or not, we truly are, and that you can give us all of the curriculum and the material that our teaching can be nourishing to those around us. Uh, Lord, shine your light into the darkness and send us, Lord. Here we are. Send us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.